hey, I just finished reading First Enoch, and I really want to talk about it. So do you want to have that conversation? Dude, why are you always coming with this weird stuff? It's not in the Bible for a reason. Just get out of here. All right, welcome to Your Church Friends Podcast. I'm Chris. I'm Mirluch. Yesterday we were driving back from uh, Bunkerville, Nevada, visiting the in-laws. That's where you guys went. I don't know. I don't open up like stories and stuff on social media. Mm-hmm. And I saw like your thing on Facebook and I looked like it said like Utah or something. Or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. We, we were in St. George for like half a day. Okay, so I wasn't wrong. No, you weren't. Yeah. Okay. We drove up to, because uh, like from where they're at, like St. George is... I don't know, like 20, 30 minutes away. So we drove up there, did some uh, thrift store shopping. It was a really nice experience. But then they had the Culver's uh, place where, mm. where me and Justine ate in Tennessee while you were with us, but you guys didn't eat with us because you were doing the Daniel fast. And uh, I, I wanted to eat there again. And I was like, Culver's, let's go eat there. So yeah, that's why we were in Utah. But we were driving back. And uh, so we decided to leave their house like somewhere around 7. It was after dinner. We figured we're going to you know, get past all the... Because uh, their house is an hour past Vegas, we're gonna get past all the Vegas traffic. We'll get past all the 15 traffic, um, and you know we'll, it'll just be a nice drive because it's late at night. Who's driving late at night as we get even back into like California? Everyone else who thought that, right? <laughs> Everybody else in the world, uh, and it was going smooth. Everything was you know everything was working out, and then we get like uh, we're on the 15. Um, gosh, I can't remember the city off the top of my head, but. Uh, I had to go to the restroom. It was right before you got to the Cajon Pass. Mm-hmm. And I I had to go to the restroom. So I was like, look, can you pull over? At this point, it's like 1030 or something like that. And I was like, can you pull over, Justine? Not at a gas station, though. Like if we find like a maybe an In-N-Out or something that's like, the restrooms will be nice. So Because you're a fancy man. Yeah, a little bit. But more of like, I don't know. I just didn't want to go into a gas station. Because sometimes like gas stations late at night, they're like, Oh, no, 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 our restrooms are closed. You can't use them. And I had to really go pee, like really, really bad. Pulls over. We find an in and out. I go, she goes. The kids didn't have to go. So we were like, all right, got back on the road. As soon as we got back on the 15, it was just traffic. Like we were driving in and then like traffic, like stuck. And the lanes went from like four to three to two. And then it was just like kept doing this merging. And there was just one point we were just like not moving at all. And, like, the 15 is just trucks. Like, there's mm-hmm. heavy trucks. So even trying to maneuver or jump lanes, it's not happening. The trucks are, like, building walls. Uh, so I open up the Waze app. And I was like, hey, let me just see how long we're going to be stuck in traffic because it's really good at showing you that stuff. And as soon as I opened it, it had my home, our home address. I clicked go, and it was like, get off right here. And it, it took us, like, around a street that then took us around all the traffic. Nice. And I was like, yeah, this works out. So we did it. We got off. We got all around the traffic. And we're like, yeah, great job, Waze. That was so cool that I just randomly opened up. We're like high-fiving. And then we get into the Cajon Pass, and we're really excited because we got past all this traffic. And then it's foggy, mm-hmm. like just out of nowhere foggy. And I was like, oh, okay. And I turned off the music to, you know, let Justine concentrate while she's driving. And you're like, this isn't that bad. <laughs> the music's too loud. I yeah. can't see. Yeah. <laughs> we have one of those moments. Well, she like sings while she drives. So like, I don't know. I'd... You're like, I want to live. Yes. Uh, but it wasn't terrible. And uh, then all of a sudden, it just went like, you couldn't even see where you were going. Yeah, I've been in that before. Yeah, Yeah. I've never been in that. And it was like so dense. You couldn't, you know how they have the lines on the road, the two, the the white and the white. Mm -hmm. um, But they're separated with the little gaps. 
you couldn't see the next one. You just saw the little white lines on the side, like your lane lines, just the two in front and then the next two. And it was so bad. And we got to a point where it was like basically uh, Justine was like, I can't see in front of me. And like her knuckles are on the steering wheel, the 10 to 2, and they're just on there and they're like turning wider than normal. And she's like, I can't see. And I was like, I don't care how fast we're going. Let's just get through this, drive through it slowly, and we'll get through it. And at this point, no one's passing. There's a few crazies who are like flying through this. Uh, well, I was going to say, that's what's crazy about driving slowly. Yeah. Because when you can't see and other people are driving even the normal speed, mm-hmm. like driving a little bit slower is dangerous. You think, oh, this is safer. Yeah. But when there's other people. Well, yeah. we turned on our hazards. We learned this mm-hmm. from the yeah. Texas rainstorm incident that like people drive with their hazards on so they could see the blinking of your, your back lights. Um, so we were just driving slow and then finally we cut through, but I was like, man, we, we really thought like, yeah, we alleviated ourselves from one problem and we got through this problem just to hit another one. It it was pretty scary, but it was, yeah, it was dense fog. I don't know if you've ever driven in that before. I just said that. Oh yeah, you did. But you were telling your story. It it was awful, but yeah, we're back home and safe now. You made it. Yeah. When you're like, yeah, ways. And you were telling that part of the story. I was thinking, see, People say that there's no such thing as like shortcuts. I was like, no, there are. But mm-hmm. then you followed it up with that part. I'm like, mm. yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was the moral. <laughs> yeah. That was the, the lesson that we learned during that. It was like, oh, yay, we got through this. Oh, when we we're finally like not in a spot where it's still terrifying to us. I was like, it's funny that we found a way to get us out of a terrible situation. And we're totally happy about it. That put us right back into a terrible situation. It was just like. All that was just deflated, like, instantly. Well, hold on to that, because that's all preaching illustrations, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Somewhere down the road. Like right now. Like, just on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, we're not going to extrapol- extrapolate out the uh, life lessons there. No. For those of you with ears to hear, you're welcome. <laughs> all right, you want to get back into Enoch? Yeah, let's do it. Back into those parables. Yeah. Did we talk about last time that... We're calling them parables, but they're also called the similitudes. Yes. We didn't mention no. some. No, <laughs> no we yes, didn't. Yes, it is called that, but no, <laughs> yes, we didn't. Yes, that okay. was my answer. Yeah. 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 So, and depending on the translation that mm-hmm. you grabbed, it might be called the similitudes or it might be called the parables. I just went with parables because I knew if I try to say similitudes over and over again. You it... just said it wrong the first time. Yep. That's why I was like, it's the parables. You ever read that book by J.R.R. Tolkien that's not The Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings? Mm-mm. You know what it's called? Mm-mm. I'm just going to try and get you to say it. The Silmarillion? No, I've... Silmarillion. <laughs> no way. <laughs> my tongue does this weird thing where it sticks to my mouth sometimes. Mm. Like when we, we had our Easter service and uh, I was doing the announcements and I got a little nervous because we had like a lot of people at church. Um, and I remember I was... I think I was trying to say kindergarten and I was like... <laughs> like that's how it came out. I was like, no. I do the same thing with the announcements, but I just talk so fast Mm -hmm. that it's like my tongue trips inside of my mouth. It doesn't get stuck. For some reason, I always turn around to look at the band. Like, guys, did you hear that right now? And they're just looking at me. Oh, man, this is. Anyways. Yeah. Enoch. The parables. The parables, the similitudes. Sure. We're in it. We're uh, finishing off the last part of the first parable. Mm -hmm. And then we'll cover the second parable. Second parable is a bit shorter. And then we'll do uh, the third parable, and then uh, the third parable ends, and there's still like a section of the parables, but it's kind of more of like a Noah 
section, I believe. Yeah, kind of that interlude mm -hmm. type deal. Yeah, yeah but, but that'll be next time. Yeah, and I mean, last week we really gave it a good shot to get through them, but we only covered one, two, three, four chapters of uh, the first parable. So that doesn't make sense. Well, we spent a lot of time on the Son of Man. Yeah. I just meant the math didn't make sense. I'm like, no, yeah, it starts in 37 and now we're in 41. Yeah. You're right. We didn't cover a lot. All right, let's get into it. All right, so we're getting into 41, right? So we're looking at the astronomical secrets. Mm. I don't know. We didn't talk last time. We kind of had a game plan going in. We're like, yeah, we'll give an overview and then get into these as we go. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess we'll just continue going chapter by chapter. Yeah, we go chapter by chapter. I have notes for every chapter, so... But at least almost every chapter. So yeah, there, we can go chapter. Lead us chapter. off and then I'll, I'll bounce off of what you got. Yeah. So 41, the one thing that stood out to me more than anything, 41 was this uh, mansions thing that mm -hmm. he brings up. Was, uh, uh, actually, I could read it. Uh, and there I saw the mansions of the chosen ones and the mansions of the holy. And their eyes saw all the sinners which denied the Lord of Spirits being driven from there and being dragged off. So uh, it kind of continues off to like the punishment of the sinners. But really, the mansions thing stood out to me because. I think any Christian reading that goes, oh, wait, I've heard mansions before, actually from Jesus, John, mm -hmm. what is it, John 14, 1, where it's like, in my father's house, there's uh, many, there are many mansions, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but that's also kind of not the best translation of it. Yeah, when I first came across this, I wanted to do a deeper dive, and I never getting into it as far as what was the original word behind mansions? Mm -hmm. And is it mansions? Because like you just said, in John 14, translating it as mansions might not be the yeah. best thing. Which, to kind of look at that, I'm pretty sure in the Jesus coming from John situation, that's more of like those big family houses, right? Mm -hmm. That they would have. And that when you would go out and get, maybe you got married and then came back and like you were building your part, like it was basically like a room. It was an add-on. You're putting like your apartment mm -hmm. onto your father's home, right? Do I got that correct? Yeah, yeah. That was kind of one of the things. Oh, uh, Michael Heiser said this, and uh, I really kind of liked it. He said, to the English reader ears, the wording sounds like the John 14, uh, but first Enoch 41 did not doesn't exist in the Greek, so the comparison with the Greek wording in the New Testament can't make that translation happen. Uh, so it really did bum me out because I made that connection in my head. But then, like I was saying, uh, when we're talking about that word, the NIV in my translation has rooms. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and then I remember somewhere hearing that, like, the in my father's house can also mean tent, like, almost taking it back to the tent of meeting. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Because yeah. back then you'd have the big family the big, type tent, like, circus tent style thing, yeah. right? And then you were adding on to that. Yeah, like a partition. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of more the idea there that it's like taking the idea back to that, that uh, only the priest, right? It, in the tent of meeting, it was like Moses could go in it, that the priest could go in it. But then Jesus was the one who really opened it up that like, no, everyone's going to be allowed into the house. There's, everyone's going to have their own partition. Like the tent of meeting was special in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. Like who could enter and who could do what. And then like the tribes were all around it. Yeah. But like who could actually go in and have space in there was, wasn't special. Yeah. And I'm going to take this opportunity. You said that this part wasn't in the Greek mm -hmm. and where we do have... Um, the parable section, right? Mm -hmm. We were talking last time that it was recorded in the Ethiopian version, which is in Ge'ez. Yeah, we were looking at that language like, how do you pronounce that? So it's like G-E hyphen or apostrophe E-Z. And mm -hmm. it's funny because if you look up online how to pronounce G-E-E-Z, then it's G's. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Ge'ez. That's, Ge'ez. The, that's the Ethiopian. We have a really beautiful language when I went to Ethiopia. Um, I got to see some of these Bibles mm. that were written in Ge'ez and just the, the languages there and everything. It's really cool. So it goes back a, a long ways, but that's another story for another time. Um, yeah, these mansions. And really what we're seeing there that when you bring that out is we're looking at this thing. I saw all the secrets of the heavens and how the kingdom is divided. Mm-hmm. And when you're looking at how is it divided, how the actions of men are weighed in the balance. So you saw the mansions of the elect and the mansions of the holy, and then the sinners being driven from there. Similar to, you know, what we'd be seeing New Testament language kind of yeah, being, yeah. being set up, even when you're looking at the mansions. But it always does come down to me that here, and yes, this is extra biblical, it's apocryphal and everything else. But cool, how is the kingdom divided? How the actions of men are weighed in the balance? So it's like, yeah, the actions of men. What's the only action that matters? Or is there more than one action that matters? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like sometimes we might look at, no, it only matters. Like, what's the action? Did you believe in Jesus? Mm. I was like, did anything else of your actions matter as far as like how that gets divvied up? Kind of maybe how the goats and the sheep are divvied up based mm-hmm. on some of their actions, right? I don't know. Just whenever I see those kinds of things highlighted, it always brings to mind, probably more so in my mind, some rebuttal and inner argument <laughs> about different christian theologies yeah 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 I, I like that too that the divide like it, it does kind of play along even with the new testament like the the parable of the sheep and the goat like it was actions but there was a divide between two categories mm-hmm. and like enoch does drive this it does consistently drive the two ways right there's the way of life and the way of death and and enoch does drive that story or, or whoever's writing the parables is driving that same illustration that's throughout the Bible, that there are two ways of life and death. And just the last thing to highlight there, um, before we get into more of the astronomical stuff, when he goes that the sinners being driven out, right, and being dragged off. So you get all of that New Testament imagery of like in the outer places, there's weeping, there's gnashing of teeth, and right, they, they can't abide there. It says they can't abide because of the punishment which proceeds from the Lord of Spirits. And just looking at this thing of punishments proceeding from God and that mm. concept. Um, I'm not sure if you spent any time just kind of mulling over that or if you're studying in different aspects. No, I didn't spend much time of that, yeah. It wasn't a thing that I spent more so studying of like, what did this mean here and, and what gets tied in? But when you just look throughout, especially the Old Testament, because it covers so much more of human history of what are these things that look like evils coming from God? Right, we kind of were talking about the mm. day of the Lord. Like that's a pretty vicious day. It's coming to correct things. You know, it's coming against sinners, just like this. This punishment is coming against sinners. I think then those conversations we were kind of having the, the conversation that man, people always want God to act, and then when God acts, people are like, why is he doing this? Like yeah. this crazy thing. So just that thing of yes, it's right for God to punish evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know, just yeah. highlight, highlighting that thing again, because I, I think that when people can see something about like, oh, punishment coming from God, we are very much in a day and age where like, no, everything has to be absolute love and there's acceptance and doesn't yeah. matter what the evil is, God should just overpower that evil and just love them through it. And it's like, I don't know if that's the right way of thinking. Yeah, Mark Clark in his book, uh, The Problem of God, has a really good chapter on evil, mm-hmm. like because it is the, one of the things that people have an issue with, like the punishment like eternal death, the eternal separation of hell, like this eternal punishment. And uh, he brought it back to like, even in our, I mean, he goes through this whole thing of, in order for us to even understand evil exists, like 
morality, mm-hmm. that right there is like, there's a God because of morality. God is the mor- moral judgment of everything, that inner nature that we have to see something like that's wrong. Um, that's God speaking through us. That's, that's the morality of it. So like, if you're like one of those people who are like, I don't believe in God. Well, but you believe in right and wrong. That's morality already in you. Anyways, uh, but he paints this whole picture of morality and evil existing is there. But uh, he gets to a point of, in the chapter of like, when we get to the spot of where like punishment of God and it seems unjust because it has to be love. Um, he said, uh, if someone kills someone, they get sentenced to jail. And we think that that punishment fits the crime. Right, they could get uh, life in prison, or uh, I don't know if it really exists in most states anymore. But there used to be the, even the death penalty, right? Or if you commit, if you rob a place, then you get maybe two years in prison. But there's uh, punishments for each crime, and uh, there are set time frames for them that we think are just. And he said, uh, "Now think about going against and doing something against the eternal God. There has to be an eternal punishment." Um, and I'm probably botching his chapter a lot, so go out and read it. But it was a really good chapter that helped me understand that concept a lot. Similar things I've heard, just like, say you kill a bug. Mm-hmm. Nobody cares. People are probably pretty happy. If you go out and kill a cat, people are like, whoa, something's yeah. wrong with this person. You go out and you kill a human, all of a sudden there's, you know, the judgment that comes under that as mm-hmm. far as that goes. So yeah, when you're sinning against God, what is the weight of that? Against, who are you sinning against? Um I do think, I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but just as we're looking at this thing of punishment, and it'll come up later because we're looking at, you know, punishment and sinners and, and all of them going on, is that just for anybody listening, I do recommend that if you're struggling with the concept of like an eternal hell, is that there are different theories about what that can look like. I don't know if you're familiar with like annihilationism. Mm, I think you've asked me that before. So annihilation is just like, cool, yeah, there's a judgment. And then the second death is the second death. Like you're just, oh, you're just done. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. There's no like eternal flames of fire. Just like, oh, it's basically the death penalty, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're not written in the book of life. So death comes, you're done. Um, there's obviously the thing of purgatory to look at as far as, and then how long and when that exists, like up until the day of judgment, or what that looks like as far as, you know, working through your sins. And maybe you go, that's a completely Catholic thing. Or like, at least go understand yeah. what it is. Um, then there's even the thing of universalism which is kind of taking that thing of purgatory and going even farther with it. They might use language like, uh, I tell you, you're not going to get out until you pay the very last for your sins. Whereas mm-hmm. you just said, a sin against an eternal God is an eternal punishment. Mm-hmm. It's like people, eh, does that really make sense? Like, does something that I did in a finite life deserve an eternal punishment? Like, can I work through that, you know? Pay my penance, so to speak? Yeah. Like, what does it take, 3,000 years for me to make up for my 80 years of screwed upness so again these are just things to look at ranging from i think no everybody gets saved it's fine to no there's not even an eternal thing you just you get killed like you're just cease to exist yeah. at all so i'm just bringing those things up because if it's a wrestling point go explore that i think that further study if anything you're going to end up looking at scriptures a different way you're going to be wrestling with it and i think that's good all coming back to this thing of punishment, punishment of sinners, what happens in the afterlife. Yeah. Let's keep going in Enoch. Yeah. Uh, 42. Um, I'll, I'll jump into there. Uh, really, I just have the, the word wisdom because, it, I mean, it's a small chapter in itself, but uh, wisdom, um, it says wisdom comes to the earth among humans and is rejected and then returns to be enthroned in the heaven. Um, one of the things is wisdom is grammatically feminine here. 
Uh, and that's the reason for the feminine pronoun, what it calls it, lady wisdom. That's the same in Proverbs, right? Yeah, yeah. So you see that in Proverbs. It's scholars use it all over the place. Um, and this is what I found interesting because uh, I was slightly confused by some of this uh, because we talked about, uh, I think, in the Trinity episode that Jesus was wisdom in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, but it said in Hebrew writing, grammatical gender and biological gender have uh, little to do with each other. The ancient biblical language is assigned to gender to all nouns, not just ones associated with physical gender. Soul and law are both grammatically feminine, despite there being nothing physical about them. So that's why when uh, the New Testament writers pick up the identity of Jesus as a figure of wisdom, it's, it's not like necessarily saying Jesus is a woman, but like it's just the way their language is. It, it has a male and female to it, in, in a sense. Um, so that's why, like, you see that in First Corinthians, you see it in Luke, and you see it in Hebrews. So basically, you're saying, like, oh, that word wisdom is feminine, right? Mm-hmm. So say in Spanish, it would have like an A. Yeah, at yeah, four, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And yeah. that's just how the word is. But because that word is feminine, then you're going to talk about it using more along the terms of like feminine, like, oh, she mm-hmm. referring to wisdom. But it's not to do with like, oh, we think wisdom is female. It's right. Like, that's just what the language is. It ends. Mm-hmm. I know it's not. It's Hebrew, but it's like basically it ends in the A. Yeah. So it's female. So we're going to talk about she because that's just how it's written. Mm-hmm. Not because we're actually making it female. Correct. Like we have to talk about it in some way. Yeah. And yeah, when you have gendered um, languages, like not, it's not just a neutral. Yeah. yeah. And I think okay. translating it over to English where ours is kind of a little bit different. We don't have that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, We probably put some different import on yeah. there that's not there in the original. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, that's what I got for that. Uh, 43 and 44, I don't have much of anything. I have some highlighted stuff, but if you got anything for those two. Yeah, just it really does all this stuff about I saw the closed chambers where the winds are divided, chamber of hail, chamber of winds, chamber of mist, clouds. And then it talks about saw the chambers of the sun and moon where they proceed and where they come again, their glorious return, how one's superior to the other. He spends a lot of time talking about these things. And even in the other chapters that we talked about previously, we're really talking about, I saw the path that they're coming from, Mm -hmm. just like where they're stored from. And all of these things of it's like, it's an interesting insight into an ancient person's mind because they're looking at the sky a lot. We can see that from ancient peoples when you look at all across the globe, right? They're coming up with all of these crazy calendars that are spanning for thousands of years based on their tracking the paths of the stars. And you see this across like all of these different cultures. And so it's just interesting to see from someone in a time that paid a lot of attention to the stars, which we don't, we can't even see it. We live Mm -hmm. in LA County, like we get six of them, right? Yeah. But the importance of these things and that there's just so much time spent talking about like, oh, I I got to see how all of that actually works together, you know, and just I think that it's a cultural insight that the stars were so important to them. And when he's having these visions and going, he's like, no, no, I saw how that stuff worked, too. Yeah. You know, I think, again, this is one of those things that I'm farther removed from and I didn't find it to be that important or even interesting for me to buy. So then what were they understanding about? Like, you know, mm-hmm. what was the deeper layer of these things? But I did just pull out that the cultural importance that the heavenly places were way more important to ancient peoples mm-hmm. as evidenced by how much time is spent in this book. But even just in that one talking about like the sun and the moon at the end of 41, 
talking about as they go out on their path, they give thanks and praise and rest not, for unto them is their thanksgiving and rest, for the sun changes off for a blessing or a curse, and the course of the path of the moon is light to the righteous and darkness to the sinners in the name of the Lord, who made a separation between light and the darkness and divided the spirits of men, right? It gets really poetic, and it's bringing in this thing of, cool, you have the sun and the moon, the light, the darkness, you're having these things, and then that's being tied to the righteous and the unrighteous. Mm. So I guess that's even where I'm going with things. these things, that the heavenly things weren't just, oh, it's like a giant calendar. It's showing more of the realities of life. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just wanted to highlight that because you skipped over and I'm like, it's weird. It's it's yeah. hard to understand what's really being said there because it is so foreign. But the understandings of the heavenly places, not just being, oh, heaven is where God is, mm-hmm. but the planets, the moon, the sun, the stars, like all of those things. It's like, no, those come into play as far as an understanding of reality. Yeah. Hi, I'm Lester of Lester's Prosthetics, the leading retailer of high-quality prosthetics. It's real talk time. Temptation is everywhere nowadays. We see something or someone and it looks good and pleasing to the eye, and we're drawn to it with desire. At Lester's, we understand this problem. In fact, Lester's understands lust. That's why our in-house team of researchers, scientists, and doctors have been working tirelessly to provide you with a solution. Introducing The Watcher. The Watcher is a cutting-edge prosthetic eye that blurs out anything you find tempting. So how does it work? It's simple. By connecting The Watcher to your brainwaves, it detects what pleases your eye. Once triggered, the watcher immediately blurs out whatever you're lusting after, completely removing it from your vision. Say goodbye to lust once and for all with the watcher. Don't forget to visit our new location on Fairfax adjacent to the beef gristle mill. Remember, if there wasn't any lust, there wouldn't be Luster's Prosthetics. Luster's Pioneering Prosthetics since 1972. All right, second allegory, second parable. Let's go. Second parable, 45 through 57. Let's see if we could get this done. Uh, the second parable begins with describing the day of the Lord. First uh, Enoch 45, 3 uses the words uh, that day. So it says, on that day, my chosen one will sit on the throne of glory and will try their works and their place of rest will be immeasurable or innumerable. The chosen one will sit to judge on the throne of glory. Uh, The result of this judgment is a transformed, new, renewed heaven and earth. And then it says, then I saw a new heaven and new earth. Um, This is very similar to Revelations 21.1, where it's the, I saw a new heaven and and new earth uh, for the first heaven and the first earth have now passed away and no longer, um, and there was no longer any sea. Um, Second Peter kind of does the same thing, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth um, where righteousness will jail, dwell, not jail, dwell. Uh, and then Isaiah 65, 15, uh, 65, 17 says, See, I will create new heavens and new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. So just chapter 45 is just this purification of everything. It's the day of the Lord, um, the purification of the earth makes it a blessing to man uh, while reversing the curse, the state that men put it in, in a sense, or the sin from even the watchers. 
it's interesting that you presented it in that way because like yeah that is what's happening but to look at it from another perspective is that 45 starts off with this is the second parable and it's going to tell you like we said that the parables tell you what it is concerning those who deny the name of the dwelling of the holy ones and of the lord of spirits so the second parable is talking about those who deny god yeah so it's talking about judgment of sinners it goes into the heaven they shall not ascend and on the earth they shall not come such shall be the lot of sinners then it gets into how you were talking about Oh, yeah. So the elect one's going to sit on the throne. Mm-hmm. It was like him sitting on the throne. Primarily, the second parable is talking about the judgment, judgment of sinners. Yeah. But it's like we were talking about with the day of the Lord stuff is that the judgment of sinners is making things right mm-hmm. and bringing judgment and bringing justice. And when we're looking at this on that eschatological like scale of things, it's like, no, this is really on the scale of, hey, that. The heavens and the earth are getting reset. Yeah. Like this isn't just, oh, for this nation or this nation or these things happening. It's like, no, no, no. Everything is getting set right now. Mm-hmm. But that does require the judgment of the sinners. But you can't talk about the judgment of the sinners without also bringing in, well, what does that do for the righteous? Mm-hmm. So it's primarily looking at the judgment of the sinners, but it's also like, but here's the end result of it for the righteous. Yeah. You know what I mean? I really like the idea in First Enoch 45 that it does touch on the new heaven and new earth because that, like I've already read, that's a theme that's placed in to Scripture already. So going back to when this was dated and all that other stuff, um, you can see he's either pulling from Isaiah, but then you could also see that, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure that maybe Peter and John as they're writing theirs are pulling from Isaiah, but they knew this stuff too. Uh, really my point is getting to the idea that... Uh, when we get to, like, a lot of times, because people don't read the Old Testament as thoroughly, we get to the New Testament of new heavens and new earth, and we think this is a new concept, new ideas, new religion. But it, it was really the story that is being told from everyone who's writing, even the Second Temple or, yeah, Second, second Temple authors. Mm-hmm. Even a thing there of looking at new heavens and new earth, we can tend to have a thing, because I believe in Peter where it says that they, they melt away, right? Mm-hmm. That they melt away. And it's like in trying to understand these things, it's interesting sometimes to try and figure out how to understand things literally or figuratively. I know that there are many people who are like, no, new heavens and new earth, like literally this earth that we're currently on is going to just completely melt away and evaporate. And there will be a second creation Mm -hmm. of a new earth that comes, brand new planet that's happening. And then we'll all be on that one. Like that's one way of thinking about it. Or there can just be a renewal of mm-hmm. what's here and it's going to make it into a new one like what makes it new mm-hmm. like does it need to be that no there's no more core there's no more mantle there's no more whatever like we need a completely new planet there's like what happened to us when we're made into new creations like, you know what i mean yeah it's like what actually happens there and what's taking place and what is god capable of doing i'm only bringing that up because a lot of people who are just like we really don't need to care about this physical place that we're on. Well, I think a lot of times, too, people get carried away with, like, the Armageddon, Battle of Armageddon, mm-hmm. and, like, it's going to bloom, blow up, and the war- Earth is going to blow up. At the end of that battle, it's like kablooey, and here comes a new Earth shaped and everything. But, uh, I mean, like you said, it's what's, what's literal and what's figuratively speaking, and it, the concept of new can be the place that we're on now can be new, renewed when God permanently just overwhelms it when when it is the removal of the cursed state right yeah i was bringing that up and then there's another thing in there is that a new heaven and a new earth and where are humans gonna dwell you know a lot of times we're Mm -hmm. like i'm gonna go to heaven it's like seems like we're gonna be on earth yeah you know whether it's this one renewed or a brand new planet like 
again, just interesting things as, mm-hmm. as we go along that as I've learned about these concepts, I can't help but to read them and think about them again. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of 45 looking at that is just really the judgment coming on and the elect one coming in. I do like in 45.4, then I will cause my elect one to dwell among them and I will transform. So again, that dwelling place, we get that in Revelation, right? That God is with us. Mm-hmm. And that that's the reversal of the curse, right? You go to Genesis and God is with them in the garden. Yeah. And here you have it this time. The elect one is dwelling with them. Mm-hmm. So it's like, ah, finally, we get to be reunited with God again in that way. And, and this is where, kind of going back to where we were talking about last week, there's, there's not much in Enoch, because there are people who pull from it and like, this isn't biblical, this is heresy, and we'll actually get into a little bit more of that with the next chapter. Um, but like, there's not much that the author of the parables varies from actual scriptural stories. And you see, even at the end of Revelation, and he dwells among that. That's the story, right? The story, Enoch, and and all the authors of what they're writing are telling the story of why the earth is cursed, what happened, what started it, to then the final end of it of how then it's back to normal, back to the way it should have been, making yeah. things right. But again, he can use he or they, depending on you know the writers, um, a lot of biblical stuff and lock it within that biblical story. But then it's in the details. Mm-hmm. You know, which is like, yeah, are we really going to, his description of it, are we going to, like, where it does deviate? Mm-hmm. It's like, how much weight do we give to that? Yeah. But, yeah, looking at that next chapter, uh, looking at the head of days and the son of man, which I read a little bit of this when we were talking about the son of man on the last episode. Here we've got, and with him was another being whose countenance had the appearance of man. So we have the one who had a head of days, the ancient one, with that, his head was white like wool, and with him was one that had the appearance of man. Mm-hmm. So how much do you want to talk about what's in here based on we had a pretty good conversation of the Son of Man? Uh, I've got more on the one I saw who was the head of days who appeared like wool. Okay. Uh, and that going to Daniel. So Daniel 7, mm-hmm. 9 is, As I looked, the thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took a seat. Uh, his clothing was white as snow, and the hair on his head was white like wool. So you see... A lot of Daniel 7 in a lot of this chapter. There, there, there's a lot of it. And then even in verse 13 of Daniel 7, it says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one, like a son of man, coming in the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. So you're seeing the same image. You know, mm-hmm. this author of the parables is, I would say, is pulling from Daniel yes. in this imagery. Um, and then verse 3 we have there the one who reveals the treasures who are hidden. And then you see that in the, in the New Testament, that's a lot of Christ. It's Christ is the one who reveals the hidden knowledge and the hid, hidden wisdom. So, um, yeah, the, the, we talked about a lot of the Son of Man, the, the one who is next to the head of days, the ancient one. Um, so other than the next part I'll, I'll get into, but that, that's really all I have for that because I think we pretty much crush the son of man conversation in the last episode pretty good yeah i think again just highlighting from this section though is that you have it says this is a son of man who has righteousness who dwells in righteousness who mm-hmm. reveals the treasures right like that you're talking about but then it goes on to say and this son of man who you've seen shall raise up the kings and the mighty from their seats and the strong from their thrones and shall loosen the reins of the strong and break the teeth of the sinners 
So we talked about last time that really the highlighting of the kings and the mighty ones as far mm-hmm. as receiving judgment. And when you see the son of man, the Messiah, the elect one coming in as being the one who sits on the throne, it's like, no, here's the proper ruler. And when you get the king of heaven coming in and judging the, the kings of men, again, just that, that ruler thing coming in and that I do believe that it shows that there is a harsher judgment for people who are in, the, in those um, positions. But again, you have, okay, so the Son of Man is being set on the throne, and immediately following that is just, he's going to judge the sinners. Mm-hmm. Like, those are the things that get linked. We tend to think of, oh, Jesus, he's the one that comes and brings forgiveness and salvation. Again, here in this parable, is very much about judgment. Um, I just have it right here. The Mary song of praise mm-hmm. in Luke, um, it says, the realm of the dead below is all astere to meet you at your coming. It rouses the spirits from the departed to greet you. All those who were leaders in the world, it makes them rise from their thrones. All those who were kings over nations, they will all respond. They will all say to you, you, have, uh, you also have become weak as we are. Uh, you have become like us. All your prompt has been brought down to grace. Along with the noise of your harps, uh, maggots are spread out beneath you and cover you. So it's very similar, this judgment, right? Like, that he's coming to judge the rulers and bring them down lower. And that language there, yeah. even when it was saying, verse 6, is that he shall put down the countenance of the strong, he shall fill them with shame, darkness will be their dwelling, worms shall be their bed, right? You're talking about maggots. Mm-hmm. They shall now have no hope from rising from their beds because they don't extol the name of the Lord of Spirits. Um, and looking here that these are they that uh, raise their hands against the Most High, And goes on to say, their faith is in the gods which they have made with their hands, and they deny the Lord of Spirits. And just a different world from our Western world, again, bringing in this thing of the spiritual world, they have their gods which they created, and they follow after those gods, which you can go back to the Book of the Watchers that we already covered, and just everything that went astray there, and and how things followed through. Um, They are just those that throughout their life, because I believe that God is the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, forever, that God has been wanting to mm-hmm. save mankind. Even to these kings, he's been trying to say, you need to judge rightly. You need to have this thing. He's been trying to talk with them. He's like, no, they've just continued to turn away from God. Mm-hmm. The judgment comes to them. Um, and just how you see it playing out there, though, just like the gods of their own hands, is that denying God, they're raising their hands against God, that God, God of love, of righteousness, of everything, is saying, you need to rule rightly. And when talking about them raising up their hand, they're just like, nah, screw you. I'm in power. I'm doing my thing. Yeah. And I'm turning to these other things to get power. I don't want the kind of power and ruling that you have. I think the Bible gives two perfect examples of that with Pharaoh and Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one quick correction. Uh, what I read was from Isaiah 4, 9 through 11. Luke 1, says, he has brought down rulers from the thrones, but lifted up the humble. That's where I was trying to make the connection. I have it backwards on my notes. Usually I put the verses at the end, mm-hmm. but I put them at the front. So that long part about the worms and maggots and stuff, that That's was from Isaiah. Isaiah. I was really sitting there yeah, like, I, was like, I, I don't, re- <laughs> don't remember that from Luke. I was like, but we're going to be getting into yeah. Luke in a few months, so I guess I'll read That was from myself. Isaiah, so right. correction. And then the one thing I did want to touch on before we move forward is the term son of man, uh, because in Enoch, he eventually does use it for himself. And this is where people are like, this is why Enoch's heresy. Um, and I don't think we touched on it. I think we may have touched on it a little bit, but I do want to give scriptural reference of the backing of this point. The Old Testament itself uses the term uh, simply to denote a human man 
all over the place. So I feel it's like you did talk about that. I don't think I gave the scripture though. Okay. And I want to give scripture because it's, it's like because me and you also just talk about yeah, stuff. Yeah, we just talk <laughs> about <laughs> stuff all the time. Go ahead, uh, cover your bases. Numbers twenty three nineteen, Job sixteen twenty one, twenty five and twenty six, Psalms eight four, uh, hundred and forty four three, Isaiah fifty one twelve, Jeremiah fifty four, and many times in, in Ezekiel, such as Ezekiel two six eight uh four one fifty one or not fifty one five one and then twenty one six so um this is where a lot of people get hooked or caught when they're going through um the book of Enoch is that term but it it, it can be used both ways for the description of who Jesus is the Son of Man and also uh for humans so don't let that slow you down in reading Enoch or if someone says like hey you shouldn't read it because of this um don't do that because the people in the Bible read this book. So that was it. Let's, we can move on. Yeah. Um, you good for 47? Yeah. So 47, look at this. And in those days shall have ascended the prayer of the righteous and the blood of the righteous from the earth before the Lord of spirits. In those days, holy ones who dwell above in the heavens shall unite with one voice and supplicate and pray and praise and give thanks and bless the name of the Lord of spirits on behalf of the blood of the righteous, which has been shed that the prayer of the righteous may not be in vain before the Lord of spirits, the judgment may be done to them, and that they may not have to suffer forever. And it goes on like that. So really looking at why do bad things happen to good people, even to the extent of their blood being shed, right? And when you look at what's happened here on the earth in terms of greed and war and violence and all of these things coming against man, and especially against righteous people who choose to stand against those things, right? Mm -hmm. Whether standing against it in a prophetic way, standing against it in a peaceful way, whatever, but where we do see that the blood of the righteous has been spilled, even going back to uh, Cain and Abel, right? Mm -hmm. Talking about that, the blood crying out from the ground and that God hearing those things. So that's where you see that none of that was in vain. And the perspective shift happening is that if all that you think is happening in this life is life here on this earth, and that there's no judgment or correction or vindication outside of that, then it's just like, yeah, it can seem like, where is God? Where, you know, where does mm -hmm. any of this stuff get set right? But here we have, I'm going to continue to read there, that in those days I saw the head of days, and he seated himself on the throne of his glory, and the books of the living were opened before him, and all his hosts, which is in heaven, and his counselors stood before him, and the hearts of the holy ones were filled with joy, because the number of the righteous has been offered, the prayer of the righteous had been heard, and the blood of the righteous required before the Lord of Spirits. So like, here he is, he's opening up the books, and judgment is taking place, right? And nobody escapes this. Mm -hmm. That's where it's like, oh, the hearts of the holy were filled with joy. You know, things being vindicated here. This is just an image of what happens at that time, that yes, a whole lot of stuff has happened on this earth. Blood has been shed. Blood of righteous people has been shed. But here we get or it gets made right. Yeah, I, I think I went over it way too quick when we were talking about it at the beginning of 45, uh, but you're seeing it throughout almost all the parables in those days, in that day. Right, yeah, this is what the whole parable is about, it's just like he is, showing it. He is beating through, yeah. the nail like over and over again to remind the people who are reading it that, that this is the day of the Lord, this is day of the Lord, this is day of the Lord, this is judgment. Um, and in the day of judgment, this is what's going to happen. In the day of judgment, this is what's going to happen. And yeah, I, I really like that part. And I, I read scroll and I was like, wait a minute. In those days, I saw the head of days when he was seated 
when he seated himself on the throne of glory and the scrolls of the living were opened before him. And I was like, that sounds vaguely familiar to yep. other things throughout the Bible. And so it is an idea of this heavenly book and that heavenly books do have Old Testament roots in them itself. Um, there are a number of passages that state or presume uh, that members of the heavenly host are keeping records of the events on the earth as part of their ministering. So they do this. That's in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Psalms, uh, Daniel, uh, and Malachi. Uh, and in the New Testament, we're more familiar with the book of life. So that's Philippians and Revelations. We see that all throughout there, that there's this book of life. So given that what the parables are saying, the road scroll is probably resembling more of the book of life. Well, it's actually an interesting thing, and we get it, I believe, in Revelation as well, is that we tend to look at the book of life because that's mentioned by Jesus, and mm-hmm. he's saying, hey, don't be flabbergasted that you know you're casting out demons stuff. Just take praise that your, your names are in the book of life. And you're like, yes, the book of life is where you want your name to be. But I believe it's in Revelation. It talks about that the books or the scrolls, multiple, mm-hmm. are opened. And that's where, yeah, I think that there is more than just that book of life. Or it's just like, oh, a lot has happened. Yeah, that, I- that, that book is... Taking place it's where we met. Big, <laughs> yeah. thick there, book. There's lots of them. It's like, let's just take it <laughs> yeah. one by one. But just that idea of, yeah, the books being open. Yeah, up. and they record human deeds, um, notably those of the sinners who oppose the righteous in the name of the righteous. And, and that's what we see in that part of Enoch 47. Um, got any more? No, I just, that was almost the whole thing that I read right there. Uh, yeah. For me, and it's so reminiscent of revelation mm-hmm. you know just i really like this whole thing is a vision of heaven i just like the visions of heaven yeah and, and looking at that um but when you have that so you have those books being opened you have vindication happening which then leads into 48 uh 40 i just want to read four because this is like uh mm-hmm. i believe this is the lord of the spirits thing yep uh he will be a staff to the righteous on which to stay themselves and not fall and he will be the light of the nations and the hope of those who are troubled in heart. All who dwell on the earth will fall down and worship him and will praise and bless and celebrate the Lord of spirits with song. Um, and, and it's cool. So you got 48. He was, and it talks about uh, that. The, I believe we're talking about the son of man mm-hmm. was before creation. Uh, he receives worship. He preserved the righteous. Uh, he is the light of nations slash Gentiles, uh, and there is salvation in his name. And, and next to my book that I have, I just wrote Jesus, because like clearly, if you're doing like a check mark, is this Jesus? It's like, before creation, check. Deserves worship, check. Uh, preserves righteousness, check. Uh, light to the nations, yeah, that was his mission, right? Check. And then his name brings salvation. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's in there. It's running this theme over and over and over again. Yeah, I think that especially when looking at this, this is where last time I was talking about wanting this section to be written before Christian times, mm-hmm. primarily just because it, it, it wasn't anything that was studious. Mm-hmm. It's just, I like it better that if this was written before anybody knowing about Jesus doing these things and then him coming doing that. Yeah. I was like, that's cool. Yeah. That, that's it's, where it's, it's all just a personal leaning to like, yeah. no, I think that that just gives me a way cooler picture of, mm-hmm. of Jesus even fulfilling these things and, you know, that imagery. Yeah. That's why, uh, like, when I told you when I first read Enoch, I was like, no, Enoch wrote this. Like, man, he wrote this all these before uh, Noah, yeah. Abraham, I was like, hey, Moses. Noah, just put this, put this under mm-hmm. one of the animals. Yeah. Hold on to this for me. Just hold it forever. Just keep passing to people. But, you know, obviously there was someone who, whether this was a story that was told for generations that someone finally pinned, or uh, it was someone who was just looking at the Old Testament and putting it together in a, in a greater way from hearing the 
other stories. Uh, I mean, there's also several books, uh, the Book of Jasher, that I believe is mentioned. It mm-hmm. does have a lot more of this inside of it too. But a lot of 48, go ahead. I think you got a thought. I was going to transition to something else, but go ahead. I was just going to say, it's in Daniel that he's given a scroll that he's not allowed to tell anybody about it, right? I think so. That was always one of my thoughts. of just like, what if it was Enoch? Because he's like, hey, write these things down and don't like put them away. Oh, yeah. And like, what if Enoch coming out and being more in the open was like, oh, because it was necessary for at that time for yeah. these things to be made known. Uh, chapter 48 is a lot like Isaiah 49 too. Uh, you're going to see this a lot in Enoch. There's crosses between uh, Scripture and everything. Also, when we see Jesus presented at the temple uh, as a baby, Simon uh, seems to be using the same language regarding the light to the Gentiles. He said, uh, so Simon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. So, yeah, using that same verbiage of light to the Gentiles, that's what Jesus' mission was. Mm-hmm. And looking at just the beginning of 48, in that place I saw the fountain of righteousness, which is inexhaustible, and around it were many fountains of wisdom, and all the thirsty drank of them and were filled with wisdom, dwelling with the, with the righteous and the holy and the elect. Just Jesus saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will mm-hmm. be satisfied. And looking here... Like, again, this is vision language. Are we actually going to go and drink from a fountain and that the water from that fountain is going to make us wise? Or is this symbolizing something, right? Right. Is it dwelling in this place and there's these fountains, right? And the fountains coming up from it, that this fountain of righteousness, which is inexhaustible. And when you're taking these things in, it's filling you and it's transforming you, right? But just really looking there about and from the previous chapter, all of the righteous being vindicated and then coming into this place of being able to man the fountains, right? You're, you're not thirsty for this anymore. You're completely satisfied. Anytime you're looking for righteousness or wisdom, it is readily available yeah. to you and you're being filled with it at all times. And this is your dwelling place now. Whereas on earth, you're just like, I wish there was a fountain of righteousness, mm-hmm. right? Why is there unrighteousness, right? And so to kind of come across to that is just like, we're thirsty for righteousness here. We're thirsty for wisdom here. But in that place, we won't be thirsty for those things. Yeah. We'll be found satisfied. So I like that. Just looking at that again, just it's a vision. So when you see mm-hmm. things in fountains, it's like, is that how it's going to work? I need me some of that water. Yeah. And maybe use the Holy Grail to drink it from. Not prime energy drink. <laughs> yeah. uh, 49 opens up the same way, that recurring pattern of... Uh, the parable of the chosen one uh, producing a fountain of wisdom that flows out of water. So very similar to what you're saying. Again, used in Revelation uh, 14 or 414, 7, 37 39, and 21 6. Um, and then 1st Enoch 49 3 is very similar to Isaiah 11 2 through 3, uh, which says, The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, and the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he would delight in the fear of the Lord. So some similar wording there. Mm-hmm. When I'm looking at this section, I know that First Enoch said it many times. I'll probably keep saying it. But yes, I get that it's apocryphal. I get that this shouldn't be what we take as our, uh, what am I looking for? As our perfect lens of how to understand things. But I can't help but to look through it and bring it into things. And I think it's pretty cool. Um, When it's talking about here, the elect one says, for he is mighty in all the secrets of righteousness and unrighteousness shall disappear as a shadow and have no continuance. 
really looking at Jesus, even through the Sermon on the Mount, as that these things of like secrets of righteousness. And he's saying, you've, you've heard it said, not this, but I'm telling you this, mm-hmm. right? And it's like, what makes unrighteousness disappear, right? If you've heard it say, hey, don't murder, but everybody's just angry at each other and there's bitterness and there's division and everything, right? There's still unrighteousness, mm-hmm. but he's understanding righteousness and teaching those things. And I see that even in his earthly mission, the elect one, aka Jesus, is teaching these secrets and already casting unrighteousness away. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. So I think that, again, just the imagery here and how I'm understanding it was like, yeah, Jesus did know those things. And when you look now, unrighteousness disappearing, it's, yeah, you can look at the language of, oh, he's, he's just going to come with a sword and, you know, kill. And it's like, no, no, no. He's like doing it in a way that restores and saves, mm-hmm. you know, taking people who are thirsty for unrighteousness and you're like yeah i want as much sin as i can and all of a sudden like oh that's not what i'm thirsty for anymore you know what i mean just the way that jesus goes about accomplishing these things i think is uh really cool kind of more on the practical side of it me and justine were talking about this yesterday on our drive home um on our nice five hour drive home um we drove through vegas and she was like all you see is billboards for um lawyers and at the time it was like cannabis like weed shops and mm-hmm. like it was lawyer cannabis and she said probably because when you do too much of that you're going to need a lawyer and then i was like yeah but then also like you see a lot of billboards for um adult stores mm-hmm. and adult entertainment and i was like and you're probably going to need a lawyer because if you're going to those things and your wife finds out like you know divorce is in your future um and then we just got talking about the idea of like why would you go to these places and it doesn't make sense and then Justine was talking about like you know strippers and she's like I just don't get why someone would do that and I was like but that's the point right once Jesus starts doing stuff what the world's philosophy and culture it stops making sense to you Mm -hmm. like you just don't get it and that's where you're seeing that more of God like that fountain of righteousness, like you're just drinking more from it and you just... That's what it says right there, yeah. wisdom being poured out like water, mm-hmm. like wisdom. Why would you do that? But when you're stuck in the philosophy of, of the world, drinking from the world's fountain, mm-hmm. yeah, you don't, you don't have an issue. That, that, I told her, like, that's a sign of like maturity in Christ is that you see something that the world has to offer and it just doesn't make sense. Why would I live my life that way? It's why foolishness. Would I, yeah, why would I cheat on my taxes? Why would I just fudge these numbers or do this? Um, it doesn't entirely make sense to you. It's, yeah, foolishness. That's the perfect word for it before I keep rambling on. But yeah, I just wanted to follow up with the practical story mm-hmm. um, of what you were saying, because I think that does tie these things together really well. Yeah, because right, we can look at this as like an eschatological revealing of mm-hmm. this one. But we already know who this one is. He's already been revealed and he's already been at work. And whereas we can look at these as like the perfection of all of these, I really strongly don't think that like anything that Jesus said or did, and especially when it comes to the cross and the resurrection, solidifying all of that, like I think that that was actually efficacious. Like I think that there was actually stuff happening there and still happening to bring the realities of that eschatological time into today, mm-hmm. right? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that kind of thing. It's like, mm-hmm. we know what the will is. We've come to know what that is, and we can put it into practice here. Yeah. That way, unrighteousness can disappear. Yeah. So we're at the hour mark for this episode. We'll split this episode and save the rest of the conversation for the next episode. So I'm Chris. I'm Yurdlich. We're your church friends. Thanks for listening.